Welcome to episode 103 of the GTO on 5G. It's the latest insight scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 20 minutes, and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is fellow analyst Anshul Sag. Let's get started, and we are both on the West Coast. So how's your uh, week going, my friend? Uh, pretty good. I was at a AMD Financial Analyst Day, followed by uh, AMD Industry Analyst Day, which is why I'm dressed like this. Uh, and uh, it was very good. Uh, and AMD had a lot of a lot of cool stuff to talk about, including some 5G things, which uh, you know we'll be covering in future podcasts. Cool, awesome. Yeah, I've been here. I spent time with Ericsson at their D15 lab in Santa Clara. I hosted a 5G developer journey discussion, and um, it will be recorded and posted. So um, hit my my Twitter feed or my LinkedIn feed, and I'll be sharing that. But that that was a great event. Really enjoyed it. But Let's get started with my first topic. And so this week, news broke that NTT, Docomo, and Nokia are teaming up on 60, uh, 6G trials. And, you know, my question is, it, is it too soon? And so, I mean, here are the details. So NEC and Fujitsu are also going to be involved. No surprise, Japanese infrastructure companies. Um, Docomo is saying that they're going to begin indoor trials before March of 23, and that outdoor trials will happen over the following 12 months. So it's interesting. I mean, typically Korea has been sort of a leader. They were a leader with 5G and we were hearing some, some things out of Korea on 6G as well. But what's interesting is uh, what's critical um, to these, these, these POCs is basically a, an AI native air interface uh, coupled with sub terahertz radio. And the objective, and I'm just sort of reading from, from the light reading article, the objective is to demonstrate uh, performance gains um, relative to conventional air interfaces because you've got a lot of beam, beam forming that's uh, going on here and you're at a very high frequency band, obviously in the terahertz range. So I think it's interesting. Um, you know, we've talked about Samsung networks in the past and you know what, what they're doing from a POC perspective. Um, I, I guess it's good to get in front of things, but there's so much still that, that needs to be done with 5G, especially in the Japanese market. But what are your thoughts? Um, I think it's okay to have exploratory things. Um, I think when you look at how long it took 5G to come to market, mm -hmm. um, I think it's healthy to do these kinds of exploratory trials. Um, and I think, you know, doing indoor stuff is probably going to be where you see a lot happening just to minimize the, you know, potential regulatory issues. Um, but I just think that, um, in general, it, it's not a big deal. I think what's important is like, you know, what are they testing and how are they testing it? So uh, I'm, I'm actually less opposed to this. I don't really think it's too soon. I think it would be, um, you know, this sounds much more of like a research project than anything. Yeah, no, I agree. And, but I think it's interesting what they're doing with the air interface and there could be applications for 5G as well, like 5G advanced in the future and that sort of thing. Um, because, you know, with 5G, you've got, you know, massive MIMO and beamforming, and it's a lot more complicated. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. We'll keep tabs on it and report back. But let's go to your first topic. And you want to talk about the India Carrier um, Association. And there's some pushback, it sounds like, on private 5G, right? Yeah. So I was reading uh, a couple articles that were talking about how the Cellular Operators Association of India um, explicitly said that uh, they they don't believe that private 5G networks 
should be allowed to be run by enterprises because um, that minimizes the potential of investment from their um, key members like Bharti Airtel, Reliance Geo, and Vodafone. Yeah. So it, it sounds like um, this might be something that uh, creates conflict within the Indian market and in rolling out 5G um, because uh, it was written to the communications minister um, and you know it was saying that there's no business case for the rollout of 5G networks if there's no, you know, private 5G networks on, on corporate campuses. So I think this is maybe an inherently flawed premise. Yeah, Both can kind of coexist together. Um, right. But the fact that um, the carriers seem threatened by private 5G makes me think that there's a possibility that they don't really have any plans for private 5G rollouts mm-hmm. or um, enabling that and that they're, they're too focused on public networks to really understand how, you know, both can benefit each other um, long term. Yeah, you know, and I've spoken about this in the past. I mean, there are going to be multiple routes to private. There are going to be slices of public networks. I mean, look at the T-Mobile Advanced Network Solutions launch. They're taking a three-pronged approach with public, hybrid, and completely private. And so from my perspective, this sounds like the, um, the operators in India are wanting to, you know, sort of protect what they're doing from an investment perspective. But um, I, I think there's room for multiple paths to market. I mean, typically providing more choice is a good thing for customers from a, from a cost perspective. And then I've spoken about this many, many times, um, multiple paths to market, you know, and, and different solutions breeds innovation and it kind of raises the water level up from, from that perspective. But I, it sounds like they're being pretty short-sighted, they're being protectionist, but it'll be interesting to see how this all rolls out. But let's move to my second topic this week. And I do want to talk about Korea. So SK Telecom, they've launched their second 5G edge uh, zone in Seoul. And so the question you know, that comes to my mind is what does this mean for 5G service delivery? It's no surprise Korea has been a leader in 5G, not only just from an infrastructure deployment perspective, but from a use case perspective. They are actually leveraging AWS Wavelength, mm-hmm. um, no surprise. Um, and... Um, you know, basically uh, what, what they're going to do with this is just to improve the overall efficiency of their 5G cloud services. And, and that makes perfect sense because, um, you know, one of the challenges with, with cloud is latency, right? And with edge that can put that compute power closer to the data creation point and reduce that latency and, you know, in, in increase performance. So I think it's a natural evolution. You're seeing mobile network operators around the world, in the US, in Europe, uh, investing in edge capabilities. Some are doing it a little more efficiently than others. I mean, like, you know, and I, and I don't like to poke Verizon, but I will for a moment. You know, they, <laughs> they, they've been just really sort of, you know, you know, building out edge enablement and not really focused on discrete use cases. And I've talked about that in the past. AT&T taking a more measured approach marrying um, edge enablement with specific vertical applications like private 5G for, uh, for manufacturing automation, which I've always spoken to as one of the bigger um, opportunities there. But what are your thoughts? I, I think these edge zones are good to have. Um, I think, you know, AT&T might have the right approach um, in the sense that I think Verizon is too aggressive yeah. With their their edge deployment because their network isn't mature enough. And right. I think T-Mobile is not mature enough. So like I think it's one of those things where um, maybe AT&T has the Goldilocks approach at this point. 
Um, yeah, I would agree with that. And um, I, I just think that there is a uh, a balance to be striked with this um, or stricken, I guess yeah. the correct um, tense. <laughs> um, I just think that I think edge will be necessary, but it needs to match the network and yeah. the network topology. And, you know, developers need to understand how they can use it um, to maximize the, the potential of the 5G network, because I, I also think standalone is a key, key component of this. Yeah, no, I agree. And that's an excellent point that you make it, you know, that the edge investment needs to be sized to the network deployment. Um, carriers are at different, um, you know, points in their deployment based on their spectrum footprint and their holdings. And we've talked about this. T-Mobile's had the most complete um, layer cake, you know, low, mid and high band. Um, in the U.S., AT&T and Verizon have had to catch up with C-band. Um, and then 110, um, you know, AT&T added to their, their mid-band footprint with 110. But yeah, that, that's an excellent point. And, um, you know, just throwing edge enablement, you know, at a network without really a discrete use case, I think, it, you know, the payback, it's going to take a lot longer to get the payback on that. But, you know, time will tell. But let's move to your second topic. And this broke right after we posted our podcast last week, but T-Mobile launched its uh, voiceover NR. And you want to talk about that? Yeah, so um, it was a fairly small launch, um, but it is the first to launch voiceover NR, um, at least in the US. I don't, I don't know about internationally, but I think also yeah. internationally. I believe um, so, yeah. And so it's a limited launch. I think it's like Portland and Salt Lake City or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a very limited launch and it's only on the S2, S21. So it's a very specific device. And I actually tweeted at Neville to understand why the S21. And he basically said, we've, this is the phone we've been testing on since we started rolling out Boner. So okay. um, this very, you know, I would almost say this is like a, almost like a, a proof of concept uh, in the sense, in the term, in the sense of how, 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 how many users it probably affects. Um, Cause probably in like the low thousands, um, but it is something that I'm very interested in and I'm, I'm interested to see how they roll this out. Um, but the key here is um, having that Voner capabilities uh, allows them to actually prepare to go full standalone because without 5G voice, you can't go full standalone because you need legacy voice to run on a legacy network. So Voner yeah. is basically the next step for them to go full standalone on mid band um, and, and potentially low band. Uh, to get rid of um, their legacy 4G network, um, or at least create a full standalone 5G so that they can have a 4G as a fallback where yeah. necessary. Um, and then in addition to that launch, um, they also launched a uh, 5G hotspot, which is uh, a device that they are branding themselves. And um, it is a uh, pretty big device in terms of battery capacity. It's bigger than the... Um, the Insego battery that they have. Um, mm -hmm. And it's actually a cheaper device. It's uh, $200 and it can connect up to 32 devices simultaneously. And it's compatible with all of its existing networks, including its mid band. And it will be free for users that have uh, eligible data plans. Um, so you have to sign up for a new line of service for it. Yeah. Um, but the reality is it's a, it's a pretty good, um, 
you know, it's a pretty good deal. And I think there's going to be a lot of people who take advantage of this hotspot and it's both for business user accounts as well as consumers. So um, I could definitely see some small businesses taking advantage of this, especially if they have good mid-band coverage where they live. Yeah. Um, I didn't dig into the hotspot. So did you mention, so it's, it, it covers low, mid and, and millimeter wave or just low and mid band? Low and mid. I didn't, I didn't see anything about millimeter wave. And honestly, yeah. I, I don't think T-Mobile is particularly interested in mid, millimeter wave. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, the Verizon in Seago MiFi is 400 bucks, which probably requires millimeter wave. So I think yeah. not having millimeter wave in there makes it considerably cheaper. And even if you don't have, you know, a, a, a add a new line, 200 bucks is still not a horrible price. No, no, it's a, it's a great price point. And, and you're right, you know, Verizon has been focused on building out, you know, their, their high band. Uh, it's been sort of their, their priori- priority because that's the spectrum that they had when they started deploying 5G. And you're right, you know, what we hear from Neville and you and I spent a lot of time with Neville is that T-Mobile is very focused on coverage, right? And providing that optimal balance of performance and latency and throughput and you know device support and, and that sort of thing. So it is quite impressive that these hotspots can support up to 32 devices. So good stuff. But let me go to my third and final topic this week. And I want to talk about Nokia again and Cellnex. And they're collaborating on private networking in Europe. And my question is, can it accelerate LTE and 5G private deployments? Um, I've spoken about Nokia in the past. Um, they're they're definitely a, a leader within within private. Although I do believe, after spending time with Ericsson this week in Cradle Point, that um, Ericsson and Cradle Point, together with their new enterprise division, will, will close that gap pretty pretty quickly. But for our viewers and listeners that are not familiar with Sonex, um, they're a tower yeah. company, and they acquired um, a company called uh, Edscom, and Edscom was a Finnish edge connectivity um, play. And so it's a it's sort of a broad alliance. Um, and there wasn't really a lot of mention around 5G. It was more focused on LTE. And, and honestly, a lot of the use cases today for private, LTE does the job. But as as that matures and as uh, enterprises you know get their hands on cellular networking and put it through its paces, you know it's going to be quite evident that that 5G and the low latency that it can deliver can do a lot of really innovative things you know, like with computer vision and, and AR and VR that you cover as well. Um, but I think this is, this is strong. This is, you know, Nokia, you know, picking, um, you know, a tower partner that has some edge capabilities. I mean, obviously Celnex is wanting to push further down the infrastructure stack. And um, I think collaboration is a good thing, but do you have any thoughts before we move to your last topic? No, not really. I, I don't think I have enough knowledge or experience in the area to kind of give a helpful insight. But yeah. in general, I, I think, uh, you know, Nokia is very good at picking partners that help them accelerate their their growth. Um, and, you know, they have so much experience in private networking, especially in Europe, that I think, um, you know, they've chosen Cellnex for a reason and vice versa, right? You know, Nokia yeah. definitely has a lot of expertise in I'm sure Salnex looked at their expertise and chose them for that reason. Yeah, I agree with you. Well, let's go to your third and final topic. And <laughs> we've we've beaten this horse pretty badly on the whole FAA, FCC, uh, avionics and that sort of thing. But you have an update. Yes. Uh, with so the NTIA. I'm very excited because <laughs> um, this actually happened like literally after we wrapped the recording of our last podcast. Yeah. And basically what happened is 
Um, there was a uh, conference that occurred earlier this month, about a week ago. It's called the Connected Aviation Intelligence Conference for Digital Transformation, AI, and Innovation. And um, there was a speaker at this conference at a panel called C-Band, What's the Long-Term Solution for the U.S. Aviation Industry? And that was on June 1st. And they basically had a speaker from the NTIA named Frank Sanders who spoke um, at this conference on this panel. And he specifically said that uh, in the, uh, you know, the, the C-band from 3,700 to 3,900, they weren't in their preliminary testing, um, 5G transmitters were not, um, you know, showing in harmful interference with altimeters. So um, it's a very interesting development because we actually have concrete people who are working at government agencies talking about this in public now um, and giving concrete information. Admittedly, this is still preliminary, so it isn't complete in terms of, um, you know, fully um, addressing the issue, I think, but it definitely has um, made it very clear that uh, people who believe to be this, who believe this to be a real problem are very much not on the side of reality or, or the data um, at least that's available today. So uh, I got very excited about this because this is um, very concrete. And he said that uh, if further testing does find interference, a technical fix appears to be available via filtering of the altimeters and or the 5G transmitters, which we already knew. So yeah, <laughs> um, I'm ready for this to be a non-issue, um, yeah, but I yeah. wanted to bring it up because this is the first time we have concrete people saying something concretely that work within the government that are, you know, partners with the FAA and, and the FCC and the, um, uh, whatchamacallit, the F- yeah, FAA and the FCC, because NTIA kind of bridges the two. They bridge the two, yeah. So the, the NTIA is the National what, Transportation? What's no, uh, it's for telecommunications. Oh, telecommunications. Okay. Yeah, NTIA is like a... Um, their their government national telecommunications and information administration oh gotcha okay cool yeah i i thought for some reason it was tied to the faa well no it's not it's not under department of transportation got it got it um yeah so i mean just you know the drama continues here and clearly (laughs) you know this may have been sort of a money grab approach from the faa standpoint with the fcc given i I don't even know if i don't even know if it was the faa i think it was more of the, the the carriers and the, the airlines specifically when I say carriers, because the, yeah, the problem yeah. is carriers means both airlines and, Entrance, yeah, and, and, and operators. But uh, in this case, I think it was actually the airlines that were, were the problem here and uh, yeah. they just didn't want to pay for potential upgrades. So they, you know, tried to find a way to get the uh, FCC to pay for it. And I think the data isn't really supporting it. And I actually saw some articles out there that I haven't had a chance to read yet, but talk about how we got to this potential, you know, no fly day, uh, it's on ProPublica. It was published on May 26th, but it's a long article talking about how we got to where we are. So I'm going to read up on it. Highly recommend some other people do too, but it says inside the government fiasco that nearly closed the U.S. air system. <laughs> Crazy, man. Well, hey, it's been another great podcast this week. Why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide specific insights for a future 5G podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will's at Will Town Tech and I'm at Anshel Sog. We hope you have a great weekend and please tune in again next week.